birds, cats, and indie game audio. Use my normal speaking level. Sweet. Okay. I think we're pretty good. You ready? I guess so. Let's see what happens. Uh, I'm Matthew Martinson. I'm Rachel Sim. And this is Beards, Cats, and Indie Game Audio. Hello, Rachel. Hi. Hello. So, um, if you're a, a new listener, long-time listener, have listened ever before, Rachel is probably a new voice to you. So I am. This is my first time on any podcast. Exciting picked, stuff. You picked a pretty good one. To, the best. Come on. Um, best. So, as me and Gord were talking about last episode, we're trying to give Gord a little bit of a break, and... Uh, Rachel's going to step in and be our occasional co-host when Gord is busy. He's just a little bit busy right now doing <laughs> life things and work things. Um, so, how about you tell everyone a little bit about yourself, Rachel? Right, so uh, I know my name has come up on the podcast before. I work at a shell in the pit with Gord and the rest of the gang, and uh, I'm pretty new to sound design still. Yep. So I've been doing it professionally for two plus years. Mm-hmm. Um... I'll just, I'll, I guess I think it'll maybe benefit some people if I just lay out all the details. Yeah, you've got so, a pretty interesting path into doing sound for games. Interesting, a little unconventional, also <laughs> a bit of a late start. Yep. So I was 29 mm-hmm. when I decided for the first time in my life that I wanted to work in audio. Yep. And I was coming from a place with absolutely zero experience. I don't know if I'd ever recorded anything. I definitely had never worked in a DAW before. Yep. Um, I just did some soul-searching and decided I wanted to make sounds for specifically indie games. Yeah. Um, So I was 29, and then I just looked into programs because I wanted to sort of kickstart this new career. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure that's necessarily the only or the best path for a lot of people. It was just what worked for me at the time. So I went to school, learned all about sound, and then started working yeah. As a sound designer. <laughs> so I was 30 when I finished the program. And uh, yeah, so a bit of a late start. And I guess I should talk about where I came from, because that's also a little different. Yeah. I started off in academia. Yeah. It didn't work out for various <laughs> reasons. Um, I admire people who pursue their doctoral programs. I really do, but it just wasn't for me anymore. Yeah. Um, and then I decided to do more grad school because grad students don't know what to do with their lives, <laughs> and then studied to become a librarian slash archivist. And so I was an academic librarian before I became a sound designer. That's pretty interesting. So I imagine there is some skills from that that apply to sound design stuff. Yeah. I, I, the organizational, Have you found some or you... Uh, the organizational stuff is pretty useful. Yeah. Um, and it's nice working with M because they're both all about organizing things. I have to remember that coming from especially like an archival perspective where things have to be done rigorously in a certain way that it's not always going to fly practically. Right. So it's mostly, especially with like things like naming conventions, which I love. I love all that. <laughs> <laughs> I love properly named files and I yeah. love lots of rules to follow. But that's not always doable. Um, but when you're working on larger games, there's lots of assets to keep track of. Mm-hmm. Um Especially if you're working with other people or you're the only sound designer working with devs who aren't familiar with audio, it helps to be really rigorous about that sort of thing. Yeah. It makes everything easier to find and just, you know, people know what you're talking about. So, I mean, some transferable skills. Yeah. Obviously, all the actual sound design stuff. Totally. No. That's, that's all, new, all new, brand new. new. Yeah. But yeah, I would say organizational things, 
file naming conventions, all the nitty gritty yeah. of sound design. It's it nice having that background. I don't miss it, but <laughs> it's still helpful to have in my back pocket. Yeah. Well, it's always interesting. Like, there's, I think, a lot of us who've come from other areas. Um, and it's always interesting seeing what skills transfer over to being still relevant. I know I was on a panel with, with Bonnie, and she talks about having done theater sound right. and theater work and theater management and mm-hmm. how those skills, like, she's found an interesting subset of what she did there still transfers over to, to sound design. If I stuff. sat down and thought about it more, there probably is more transferable stuff that I'm just not thinking yeah. about right now. But. but yeah, it's always interesting. I mean, I have way back in the day, I did some construction work and... You know, I, I, my dad builds stuff, and so I've just got these. Like the Foley pits. Yes. <laughs> um, and he's, he's made me some really cool instruments and stuff. And being around that picked up the ability to, to make stuff. And that's a very handy skill when it comes to... Super useful. You know, like, oh, I need to make a, a you know, we need a weird sound that comes from a thing. So I'll just build some stuff. And I'm very, very comfortable with those kind of tools and everything and it's like not something that I would put on my resume like as a sound designer I can build things maybe people should (laughs) because I think there's lots of opportunities where it's like you can't figure out how to create the sound through like layering so it'd be much easier to come up with a device that'll actually make it for you Yeah. so maybe people should start putting that on their resumes able to build cool stuff that makes weird sounds (laughs) Yep. Uh, one of the things I want to do this is your first time in the clay studio where we're recording today and we're seeing our little foley room that is full of junk and things and <laughs> one of the things that we've been talking about lately is I want to make um, I want to put together some some boards full of hinges and rattly things and door handles and just make a board to make junky rattle sounds hopefully one day we can steal that idea and put it in our studio yeah it's when I was looking for like reference photos of what this should be I actually found a lot of photos of these things people had built for their children to play with like it's a little just sort of like Mm -hmm. here's all these little bits and pieces that you can flip and twist and turn and stuff and I'm like that's actually totally a sound thing that totally (laughs) is Um, yes I'm gonna write that down later (laughs) once once we're set up in a bigger space we should totally have something like that yeah and it's it's a cool thing I think it's a cool thing because you can make it any sort of size that you've got yeah right if you've got a lot of space you can I remember uh, I went we did some recording at the CBC and they have this amazing Foley studio like big and it's got stairs and it's got a balcony and it's got running water and different kinds of sinks and like just everything right wow could do everything there and they had a giant like rolling size of two doors contraption that was all these little doors and handles and it was like big but it could it had everything you could kind of associate with a door on these huge doors on this thing that you could roll around and yeah you could open like it was all these little doors that you could open and close that were like different sizes and different materials and different handles and it was just like okay so when you've got a lot of room you can build a really big thing and that's really cool (laughs) Um, but if you got a small space, you can, yeah, you can just, you know, build a, like, one foot by one foot piece of wood and put what you can on it. Make it. Or whatever, right? Like. Make it so that you can swap out the pieces. Yeah. And like, that'd be good. Yeah. I could, yeah. If Gord listens to this podcast, Gord, we should totally have that in our studio <laughs> and make it highly customizable. I like yeah. That. Yeah, it would be cool. I think I, I want to just go, like, for a trip to the hardware store and, like, go down the aisles and. 
Uh, the other, oh, Danny came up with a great idea today. We were talking about it. Um, there's a couple of different hardware recycling places. Around the city? Around the city. And there's mm-hmm. definitely, it exists in other cities as well. It's for, they recycle construction goods. So, like, instead of just tearing down a house, they go in and, like, take everything that could be reused. So they have used hinges and stuff. I'm like, yeah, to get creaky, older, rickety stuff, like get used things. And on a budget. Yeah, that too. Helpful. Recycle and everything. Yeah. All the good things. Upcycling. Is that still a thing? Reusing. Yep. Um, We're going to find out where that is and like go go find the rustiest hinges we can. (laughs) Yeah, that'll be exciting. That'll be a fun trip. Yep. So, we let's talk about how we first started talking. Yeah, I mean, we first met, I think, at one of the sound design meetup yeah. events, and then there was Audio Bash. Yeah, you started coming out to while you were in school, right? Yeah, I was still I was still studying and decided to start going to things, which was great. Uh, I gotta say, at that time, um, you and your friend were one of the few people I saw coming out to events that we're still in school. I find that surprising. Um, yeah, I was talking to Max at Audio Kinetic, and he's trying to get the meetup going, or the mm-hmm. meetup scene going in Montreal, and he noticed the same thing, is that he was getting a lot of indie people and also AAA people, but not a lot of students. And I, yeah. thought, I thought it'd be the other way around, where students would jump at the chance to attend these things. Yeah, and I've, I always thought that that was a real sign of your guys' real interest in doing this that you were already coming out to stuff. You were in school, but you were still seeing what was going on and what there was to network with people and, like, getting out and sort of becoming known. I think it's easy when you're in a very intensive program and probably learning a lot of things for the first time to think, like, all you can do and all you have time to do is buckle down and, like, study and work and make sounds and stuff and it's really easy to lose track of how important it is to start sort of integrating yourself into the larger community and thinking like what will happen once you're done with school Mm -hmm. Um, so I think that was I was with some good people who were like-minded and so it was easier to go to things because there was not just me it was a couple of us Um, so that helped but uh, no it was really fun and I I still love Audio Bash it's one of my favorite events of the year (laughs) so which we've got another one coming up in July if you're in the Pacific Northwest area or want to come in I can't remember the date but I'll put it in the show notes (laughs) (laughs) Uh, yeah so there was that and then but I guess more formally then we got paired up We, we both joined the AMP program yeah the audio mentorship program yeah and we got matched up together. Yes, uh, which was great for me because yep. you have tons of experience. You've been doing this for a long time and always good talking to you. I'm not sure what you got out of it, but it was very really helpful for me. It was great. I felt really lucky to get paired up with somebody in town, being able to just would get together for coffee. Yes. You know, it'd be like, okay, after work, we'll, we'll get together for after work, after school, we'll, we'll just go to the coffee shop and we'll sit down. And it was always, okay, we're going to sit down for like half an hour. And then it was always like, okay, two hours have gone by. <laughs> okay, I really need to go. Yes. But I've got one more thing I want to say. We had a lot um, to talk about. It was, it was great. It was being lucky enough to mentor somebody in person was uh, uh, really amazing. I was really happy that... Because yeah. it's the same sort of reasons why we do all the podcasts face-to-face. Mm-hmm. Like there's a different connection when you're talking face-to-face than you are on the phone or even with a video on Skype or whatever. Like, there's a, something there. 
I feel like most people I've talked to who went through the program had a great time yeah. and like great relationships, but not so many in the same city mm-hmm. um, and being able to meet up face to face. And uh, so, yeah, I am very happy with that pairing. I'm very <laughs> grateful for the opportunity. And I think it, I think I specifically said that I wanted to work in indie game audio. And yeah. I, I wonder if that had something to do with it. <laughs> That's definitely where I am. So, <laughs> uh, yeah. So it turned out great. Um, I know that their program is still going on and still changing and evolving, and they're doing new things. Um, I know I've done a couple of like Skype calls, group calls with them, um, where they just kind of like make people available to sign up to talk with them over Skype and answer people's questions and stuff, which is cool. Um, so, yeah, it's it's a great program. Um, what do you think people should look for in a mentor? Not necessarily strictly from the AMP program, because anybody can, you know, the program is great, and it's uh, it's nicely formalized and, and takes a lot of weight off somebody's shoulders to find a mentor. Right. It makes um, that part of the process a lot easier, for yeah, sure. Yeah, which is awesome. Um, but people can still go out and find their own mentors as well. Speaking just from my own experience, I think it really helped that I was very specific in what I wanted out of a career in sound. Right. So I didn't just go to school thinking, and I'd be happy ending up anywhere. I went into school knowing that I specifically wanted to work in indie games and that I wanted to work in sound and not music. Right. And that really shaped just about every decision I made going forward. Yeah. Um, in terms of the people that I wanted to meet, the kind of events that I wanted to go to. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I would say, I mean, one, it helps if you have the time and space to think clearly and I think purposefully about what it is you want to see yourself doing. Yeah. Um, to have a clear goal in mind. And that's not the only way, but for me, I found it to be really helpful. Yeah. Um, and then obviously, it's great to meet anybody in the industry. <laughs> Um, But when the opportunity arises, think about people who've had experience and where you want to end up. Yeah. Um, Because I think they can speak more to your expectations, Mm -hmm. but also things to look out for and also advice on how to get to where you want to be. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's that's really good advice in that when you approach somebody that you may have met that you want to potentially mentor – you or you'd like to just even have further casual conversations with or whatever, knowing what you're looking to learn is really helpful for that other person as well. Like it's not only good for you to know this is this is where I want to go and what I want to do, but if you can present that to this potential mentor, um, it's I think it's much easier for them to take on, oh well, I, yeah, that's a thing I can I can teach you or I can talk to you about or show you. Uh, or maybe even I don't know that area, but I know this other person that's really big into that. You know, if somebody approached me and was like, I want to be a composer in video games, I'm like, okay, I don't, well, I'm not a composer, so I'm not the best person to talk to, but I probably know a composer I could recommend you that would be cool with, you know, that and that's whatever your style of music is or whatever it may be. So having a little bit of focus to what you're looking for is definitely a really good, good thing. That's a good point, especially because I find that sound people, especially game audio people, are so helpful. And they want to share like all their knowledge and all their sort of experiences with you that 
in a program like AMP or if you're just doing like a one-off Skype call or something, it's really hard to know where to begin and like yeah. how to make the most of your time with your mentor or your mentee. Yeah. Um, so that's a good point is that it also helps them sort of focus the kind of information that they want to share with you as well. Yeah. Yeah, like mentoring with you, you were like, I want to do indie game audio. Like, okay, great. That is a, like, we can already eliminate a whole bunch of other stuff that you might try out doing or whatever, you know, that would be more focused on other game studios. So it's like, yeah, it allowed us to focus in quite quickly on where we could go. Yeah, I don't know if you remember, but at the time I was finished school and contracting yep. already, and uh, you also made it very clear that I could ask you about just the actual specifics of how to make certain <laughs> sounds. I remember I was working on some cartoon-type yep. sounds and was struggling with that. So I was like, Matt, how do you make cartoon sounds? How do you make like, funny, wacky sounds? Um, so it was nice having specific things that we could break down and discuss and just to pick your brain over. Yeah, and we always went off on tangents from that. It was always like, okay, we're going to meet and we're going to talk about this. This is what we're going to talk about. And then two hours later, we would have talked about all kinds of <laughs> other stuff as well. So it's always, you know, all those things are just jumping off points. They get you started. And I think most most audio people, once you get them started talking about audio, they don't want to stop. Yeah, and I think that's also another I guess another plus of meeting face-to-face is yeah. that it allows the conversation to grow more organically. Yeah. You're not just looking at the clock and thinking like, okay, now what else do I have to ask before this <laughs> meeting wraps up? Um, so it was, it was really nice. And I would recommend students, especially that are still in school and maybe feeling like they're too busy, to try to make it out to things because this is where the organic conversations unfold. Yeah. And it, uh, it just gives you more time and more space to get to know people who are already doing the thing that you love that you want to get into. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's, I mean, school is great, but these personal interactions are way valuable. <laughs> yeah. So that's a good segue into the, you have started uh, joining, I don't know, the board, the organizers, whatever we want to refer to yourselves as. We don't as. have a name. We're <laughs> a group of individuals doing uh, our best. But um, Gord had started the Vancouver Sound Designers Meetup Group yes. uh, many years ago. Um, had uh, Miguel jumped in and was helping him a lot. I helped a little in the beginning. Uh, but we'd all kind of gotten busy and dropped out, and the group had kind of gone into a hiatus. And then... You and Luca and M and is there anybody else involved as well? Oh gosh, now you you put me on the spot if I forget someone. I'm so sorry, but Millie's involved. Miguel is still involved. Yeah, and Gord is. We touch base with Gord because yeah. he has the experience. So a new crew has stepped up to the plate and is getting everything kicked back off again. And last month. We had your first. Oh, we had it's your June first already. Month. Yeah, so last month, but so May, like a week, you had a, week and a had half the ago. first casual meetup to get everybody going again. Yeah, you were there. Yep. Lots of people were there. It was like a pretty big turnout. Yeah, it was really great. It was yeah, it was a lot of fun. Um, Luke and M did most of the heavy lifting with that initial meetup. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was good just to start with something a little more casual, just to ease back into things and also to gauge interest. And I think we were all really happy to see that so many people missed the meetups and yeah. wanted wanted that back, a yeah. place where they could just talk to other sound people about anything and everything. So what what made you want to get involved in that? It's a big, you know, it's obviously it's always, it's a big endeavor to organize these sorts of 
things. Uh, Emma and I have always talked about wanting to do more to, I guess, to give back to the community in a sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we volunteered with uh, like a kids' summer camp last year, teaching awesome. elementary school kids about sound design. Um, what was how did how did <laughs> how did that happen? That sounds really cool. Uh, that was through Shane at VFS and yep. Millie as well, and. Um, I guess this camp has been going on for a while, and it's mm-hmm. about teaching, I think, introducing kids to all aspects of film design and production. Yeah. Um, and they'd taken a hiatus from the sound program and then wanted to bring it back. Yeah. And so it was the first year, and I think, like, several that they were trying to reintroduce this idea of, like, sound design um, as a, a component of film and television. Yeah. And so it was a group of, I think, 30 kids. Kids are very tiring. And <laughs> <laughs> there was, I think, three or four volunteers, and we would just help them set up. We were using GarageBand. Yeah. And we had some recordings for them, and we were teaching them how to layer stuff together, how to, like, just drop things into a timeline, but mm-hmm. also how to record. So there was microphones and recorders for them yep. to, like, record their own sounds. Cool. And we had, like, laser cans for them to make laser sounds. They like that. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, so it kind of started with that. Um, and so we talked a lot about doing more for the community, yeah. trying to give back a little bit, but also just just to share with the general public what sound is about. Mm-hmm. And uh, the meetup is, I guess, a nice way to start actually doing things in terms of fostering community and getting people together. Yeah. Cool. Um, I guess I want to branch off of that a bit and talk about I've I've had some as many people who've listened to the podcast or follow me on Twitter know that I've been dealing with a myriad of health issues for about the last two years now. And um, basically I have autoimmune issues um, which is lifelong and is a sometimes a struggle sometimes is not um it's uh really get that they don't know what's going on with the human body and it's all just like an experiment let's try this now okay that didn't work let's uh let's try these drugs um and lately in the last couple of months i had another flare-up of another issue come up um where uh I developed alopecia, and I, in three weeks, lost all the hair in my head. Um, and that, emotionally, is an incredibly hard thing to take. Um, it's kind of like you don't realize how how important or meaningful or something is until you know you lose it. Right. Um, and I've been. I've been very open about what's going on and sharing all my feelings and trying to very much not be in a, like, woe is me, feel sorry for me, but just this is this is the stuff that's, that's happening. And at the end of the day, it is just hair, and physically, otherwise, I'm fine, other than my head being cold all the time. Uh, and I will get through it. I'm lucky. I look all right with a bald head. So, you look great. You know, so that is, I, and I... I logically hear that from lots of people, but it's still emotionally, like, you know, so hard to, yeah. to process that. Mm-hmm. So I still am, you know, I'm depressed at times. And so, so I've been sharing all of this with the greater game audio community because with all my other stuff, everyone's been had, had this crazy support for me. And it, it certainly helps me in the way that I deal with stuff to share these things, to, like, barf out these massive, like things about what's going on and how I'm feeling and my health and stuff. And the support from the game audio community 
has been amazing, has been tremendous. And, you know, there's always somebody there going, no, you look fine. You look great. Don't worry about it. You're not, you're not defined. Like, I lost my beard as well. So it's, you know, part of the podcast team. <laughs> you know, and, and it has felt like a defining characteristic for several years. Um, but everyone's, you know, like, don't worry about it. That's not, it's not who you are. You aren't a beard. You're more than a beard. Yes. Um, and I'm, I, feel, I feel incredibly lucky that, that I've done, been doing these things. Like, I feel like I've been giving to the community in various ways. You definitely have um, in so many I do ways. the podcast, mm-hmm. um, you know. Carousel Con. Carousel Con and helping with everybody with Audio Bash. So, you know, I've been, been doing these things and they're, they're a lot of work. Um, it's a lot of effort and energy to put into these things, but this is one of the big ways it's paying off for me personally. Like I've now got all these people who are kind of like in my corner and rooting for me, and it's it's great. Like it's you know it feels amazing to to barf out all the stuff and have a ton of people go. No worry, don't worry, dude, you got it. The like you were saying, the game audio community always seems to be ready, willing, and able to help with knowledge and support and, like, just wanting to be there for all of each other. I think it's it's obviously you're very loved by the community. I think first and foremost, that's something I want to say. Um, and it is a great community, and I think it just... It does... I think it also speaks to how well you foster the community that you now feel all this outpouring of support and love. And I think it also speaks a lot to who you are as a person, that you've been so open Mm -hmm. about it. And I know you said that it helps you to be able to bark out all this stuff, but it helps us, too, to have someone who's who's open. Yeah, uh, kind of two makes me think of two comments. Uh, The first is when I like, when I say it, it helps me. I'm I'm not good at hiding stuff. So when somebody's like, hey, how are you doing? And I'm like, I'm depressed that I'm losing all my hair. I'm like, they were like, whoa, just just as was expecting to like doing fine. Um, So barfing it out uh, online on Facebook and Twitter and everything, like for me, cuts off having to explain it to everyone over and over and over again. It's like, I'm obviously not going to reach everybody. Not everybody reads my stupid Twitter stuff. <laughs> um, that can't be expected. I don't, you know. But I reach a whole bunch of people that I may have had to, instead of having to explain my situation like 50 times, now I've only got to explain it 20 because 30 people have already heard it. And, and that really helps me. Like the, the repetition of what's going on is part of what gets really draining about these these sorts of things. Yeah, for sure. And and that's part of like that's part of my problem in that I'm not good at hiding these sorts of things. When I'm I'm like, yep, I'm gonna you know somebody's on the street corner going, hey dude, how you doing? I'm like, well, let me tell you, <laughs> like, you know, barf all this junk out on a perfect stranger. Um, so that that's that's one of the ways that it helps me. And and one of the other things is I realized you know that lots of people are going through stuff big and small. And that the more open we are about these things, uh, hopefully the more we can passively support each other. Um, it's not the same as, you know, going to speak to a professional about what your issues 
maybe about depression and whatever and, and getting like real help. But sort of just passively seeing that other people are experiencing things and dealing with things that maybe may or may not be similar to what you're, you're going through yourself, like I think can help just, you know, increase the visibility of, of all these troubles that we may be experiencing. And, and I know that at least one person uh, decided to post their own issues of stuff they had gone through. Um, and I talked to them, same kind of like, here to support you, very brave, you know, it's great to share everybody. And they were like, it's from reading all your stuff that I felt open to sharing my stuff. Definitely. I think part of, part of the healing process is to, to come to terms with what you're dealing with. And there's still, I don't want to call it a social stigma. Maybe it kind of yep. still is, but there's, there's, um, people experience a lot of reticence when it comes to sort of talking about the things that they're struggling with. And so to have someone like you, a very public face in game audio, mm-hmm. be so open, I think will give people maybe allow people to see that they also have a similar outlet if they need it. Yeah. And that it is a very helpful way to just barf things out and then hopefully feel a little bit better. Yeah. Um, but also to to see just how tight-knit the community is. Yeah. And to know that there are always people who are around to support you and to offer any help that they can provide whatever form that may take. Yeah. Yeah. So thank you for sharing. Thanks for listening to me, you and everyone else. I very much appreciate it. And on that heavy note, (laughs) how about we jump to some Twitter questions? All right, Twitter, what's up? All right. And as usual, I will murder everybody's name that I'm about to say. I'm glad you're reading the names and not me. I'm the worst person to ever do this. (laughs) I don't know how I got put in charge of this, but... There totally have been times that I've just, like, handed my phone to Gord and been like, you say this. (laughs) So, pre-apology, I am sorry to everyone whose names I am about to say. Isabel. Got that one right. That's an easy one. Uh, Hopefully it was Isabel. She said, any thoughts on how to pace yourself during the day to avoid an end-of-week blah? Ooh. End-of-week blah. Do you want to take first stab at this one? Sure. Um... I kind of approach that. I like. I don't consciously approach that kind of kind of thing. Really, it's more of a like general. I think the things that I would do to combat overall burnout are the same things that are going to help me make it through a regular week of, of stuff. And that's just kind of you know, don't overwork myself if at all possible. Take breaks, you know, during a day. Um, Try and mix up as much stuff as I can be doing as possible. So if I've got the ability to work on um, implementation and ambiences and UI throughout the week, mix that up so that I'm not like all week I worked on ambiences. And that's obviously not always possible. But I feel like when you can logically jump around to different things, that'll help you keep your creativeness up. Interesting. I I get that. And sometimes I'm like that too. But there are also days where if I have a lot of ambiences to work on, I just want to sit down and just want to burn through all the ambiences. Yeah. So I I like to 
as much as possible, portion out chunks of time to do individual tasks mm -hmm. um, and then maybe switch it up on a day-to-day -day basis. Yeah. But for sure, if I'm feeling stuck, if there's a sound that's not coming together, I do find one of the best ways is to leave, walk around the block, <laughs> yeah. get some fresh air, and then, or maybe even jump to another sound and then go back to it. Mm -hmm. um, it's so easy to get caught up and think like, oh, I'm so close. And then you're hacking away at it. And like two hours later, you go back and you listen to it and it's total garbage. Yeah. And you should have just left it and given yourself some space. Uh, I think kind of another thing wrapped up in all of that is if you can finish some stuff, give yourself some wins to count up. However, you may count a win as a win. But I, I feel like if you're at the end of the week, you're going to be like, ha here's the list of things I accomplished this week. You know, you're going to feel good about your week. And then hopefully you will feel good about coming in on the Monday. That you're like, right, last week was good. I got things accomplished. And maybe they're small things or, you know, hopefully they're big things. But if they're not, you know, whatever you can count off to feel like sort of accomplished in the last week, I think is a helpful yeah. thing. I think that's really important. It's so easy to beat yourself up over what you we're struggling with and what you didn't manage to finish that it's very easy to lose sight of everything that you did accomplish yeah so i would say definitely friday wrap up maybe everyone should start doing yeah. this just think yeah. about everything that you managed to get done all the wins i like that that'd be cool um steven said this is a bit of a broad question okay any top tips when recording source for effects? Go-to setups or anything you find that gives interesting results? Ooh. So uh, I don't record enough. Yeah. I'm just going to come out straight and say it. But I work with some people who do love to record M. Mm -hmm. um, so she's always been a great inspiration. And she's often telling me to try to do more with my voice. Yep. Um, and then... Yeah, just to think of your voice first and see what you can do with that for source material. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think that's great advice. I wish yep. you were better at it. I should <laughs> practice more. I will. I, having been somebody who's done a lot of voice stuff, it's yes, definitely have. something you, the, the more you do it, the more you feel comfortable, I think. Um, and the more you realize you can, what you can get out of it, for sure. Um, I've been noticing I'm back on a certain drug that I was on before and I've noticed it totally affects my voice. I, I like lose a bunch of top end when I'm when I'm on oh, these drugs. It's weird. It's and it kind of scared me a bit because there are definitely sounds that I used to be able to do that I can't do when my voice is affected like this. Right. But the thing to do is practice more, see what I can do with this range that I've got and just experiment. And, and see. hopefully find new sounds that you can yeah. now make that you couldn't make before. Totally. Maybe it's just going to be different. Um, one of the things uh, I think about recording uh, source uh, for anything um, is something Gord has always said a lot of is do things at sort of different velocities and strengths. So don't just hit stuff hard. Hit it very soft. You know, like crank up the gain and record it really soft. Like sort of manipulate whatever it is you're recording in as many ways as possible. And you know, I think you'll be very interestingly surprised at what can come out from from those different manipulations. I think that's great advice. Um, I think it came up in conversation maybe at our weekly meeting last week mm -hmm. that there's no such thing as like a grab library. Nobody has recorded a bunch of just like objects being grabbed with the hand. <laughs> and sometimes you need that stuff. Yeah. And that's like the really quiet, delicate thing. So yeah, record loud, but also record all the soft touches. Yeah. That's a good one. Um, and as far as like setups and interesting results, I 
use just garbage microphones and everything. I'm pretty low on the like scale of crazy gear. So use what you got. It's all about just using what, to me, whatever it is you've got. If you've got great microphones, use great microphones. If you don't, don't worry about it. Jay just posted, Jay Fernandez posted a little video today on on Twitter uh, that was a, a rocking chair in his house was squeaking and he just recorded it with his iPhone and he turned it into this really cool sounding like alarm effect. I never think of using my phone as a recorder and I kick myself for not thinking of it more. Um, but I totally agree. I'm using the same equipment that I accumulated while I was a student and it's always served my purposes well enough. Um, would it be nice to have a better microphone? For sure. But what I have is also always done the job. Yep. So do the most, just experiment lost with whatever you've got and you'll probably get some interesting interesting results. All right, Kristoff, uh, lots of pro tips on reels around, but most of the talk seems to be geared toward finding an in-house position. What are the different aspects to consider when making a reel to attract game dev clients and not in-house recruitment? More generic, longer, shorter, multiple reels? What are your thoughts on reels? My thoughts on reels? Did you That's... did you ever have to make a reel? I did for school. Yep. I don't know how many people, maybe nobody watched it. I'm not, I'm not sure. Oh, no, some people did watch it. It is now off the internet. You can't find it anymore. <laughs> um, I'm not sure it would really change all that much. And I think it goes back to something that came up earlier mm-hmm. uh, on this episode, is that I, I still feel very strongly that it helps to have sort of a specific goal in mind. Right. Um, reels should be short. Yeah. I don't think that if you're freelancing or you're not looking for an in-house job that you should have a longer reel. I agree. I don't think a longer reel is a solution to anyone. I'm not sure multiple reels is necessarily the way to go either. Maybe if they're short but very specific. I I would believe in multiple reels, actually. That was something that I would say. I've never looked at reels or interviewed people, so yeah. that, that's I, um, I want to know what you have to say about uh, that. I think... Uh, I think especially, maybe especially for game dev, maybe not for developers and not in house position, but I think the more you can show them what you're going to do for the game that they're doing, the like better your chances are. So if you've got a reel of really cool, awesome combat stuff and they're doing a, a 2D puzzler platformer game, you know, that your reel isn't going to speak to them. But if you've got a reel of like, yeah, I also do that and here's a reel of platformy stuff the more they can, I feel, see you doing their game. So maybe you need a couple of different reels to focus on different people. Right. Yeah, the question was not in-house positions. So, like, the world has many opportunities that cover a wide range of things. So, yeah, definitely then I I take back what I said earlier. (laughs) (laughs) So not more generic, not longer, but, like, specific to a game dev style that you want to be like you were saying too going back to the being focused on what it is you want to do the more you can show that you're focused on sort of what that game dev wants to do and that you align with that i feel like the better chances are there any types of reels that you would suggest like in particular then i feel like foley for sure you kind of want something that shows a lot of actions maybe just i would I would approach it more as a like a show reel. I feel like a, a, a assuming that a game dev is a non audio person. I'm just right. doing that first. Um, I think you want to just like wow them with a lot of stuff, and they're a game dev person might not understand as much 
a fully recording video or an implementation video. They want to be like wowed by really cool sounds. Um, so the more you can show that, whether it is your own recordings, your Foley, whatever, um, I think there's been some videos I've seen of people doing picture-in-picture -picture stuff of showing the thing that they recorded and the video, the sound, like what that they made out of that thing. I like those. Yeah, I think that I think non-audio people get really jazzed by that as well. Like I think that's a cool thing of like, look, I did all the stuff and I turned it into this other thing. Like I think that's a like, ooh, that's interesting kind of moment for people. So I think stuff like that, the more you can show the like kind of cool, interesting stuff you're doing. Um, and it's potentially in a little bit more of a showy way and not a like super technical, here's my implementation on how I like. With multiple reels, would you still recommend having sort of that one primary sizzle reel, like the first one that people might come across? Yes. I, I always think it's good to like, most people are probably going to have a reel that you've pointed them to. But there still is that chance of like not having the time to do something specific or not having this whatever it may be. So having that like main sizzle cool thing on your website is, is great to, to draw those random people in that may not have been directed there directly by you. That's gotcha. a weird sentence. <laughs> cool. Uh, Sam, Sam Mackey said... How often do you find you want to use custom DSP, FX, specialization, etc., in a game, but the current engine middleware can't provide that feature natively? Oh. For me, not often. I'm in my implementation designs, I don't really like push the envelope when it comes to FX and like in in middleware or in engine kind of stuff. So I haven't I haven't really found myself going, oh, I really wish, you know, other than a couple of small things which eventually are getting supported, like I've always wished FMOD, we use FMOD almost entirely, um, I've always wished they could do LFOs and 2.0 they finally put LFOs in, so no, that's really cool. Um, so I guess that's something I've wanted. <laughs> <laughs> I was, I was going to say something similar, like I've never really found myself in that position. I think part of it is like we were saying with recording like make do with what you do have access to yeah but i think and this is where we're very lucky the other part of it is that we have two audio programmers on our team now right and so they're always there to offer custom custom solutions if there's something that we need that we can't get yeah natively and um, you're using kind of your own audio engine too we are we still right? are um we do yeah, Muna we're using for several projects, yeah. and we we still use FMOD as well. Mm -hmm. um, and we're doing more work in Unreal now. Oh, cool. Um, but still mostly FMOD integrations. There's one yeah. game that is we're using Unreal's built-in audio engine, but it does help. And I forget that not all teams have audio programmers yeah. that can code things <laughs> for us as we need. So thanks, Gord. <laughs> um, I mean, that, that said, like, I've always been interested in... The capability that FMOD has to, for you to write your own effects, like you can, you know, get a programmer, or be a programmer, and and write your own custom stuff for it. Like I've always been like, ooh, that's really neat. We should do that sometime. Um, just hasn't happened. <laughs> yeah, we do that with Moonar, yeah. our in-house one, um, and then Unreal is an open box. Yeah, um, but haven't done much with FMOD yet. Something to explore in the future, maybe. Uh, another question is from Steven. Uh, also. 
I've had people ask me for advice before, and I really don't feel qualified to give it. However, I also want to help folks when I can. At what point is it okay to do so? <laughs> I don't think I'm qualified to offer <laughs> advice, Matt, but here I am. So apparently, any time is okay. Um, I think regardless of what you've done in terms of projects and your career oriented experiences, there's always something to offer. Mm-hmm. And um, I mean, if somebody's asking specific questions about like, how do you, how do you get tons of clients and projects and you're not there yet, then yeah. don't, don't say anything because <laughs> don't offer advice when you, you know, you have nothing to offer. Cause I think that's worse to right. make up advice on the spot. Yeah. Um, but I think if you, if they they're if they're hell bent on going to you for advice specifically for some reason and not yeah. someone who has the background, I think there's always ways you can pick apart questions and find things that you can relate to on a personal level. Mm-hmm. And for me, I for some reason I do get messages over LinkedIn, also on Reddit, for people just asking about how yeah. I got into sound. I don't know how they found <laughs> me or, or why me. Um, and it's it's generally a lot of students or people who are fairly early on in their game audio careers. And mm-hmm. so I like to talk about my path and how I got there and things that I did that helped sort of kickstart my career. Yeah. So that's the approach that I take to it. But uh, yeah, what are your thoughts? Well, kind of related to that, like I, I hate telling people how I got into game audio at this point. Um, because I feel that people are asking that for advice on how they can get into, you know all of this and I started game audio 16 years ago I think and how I got in doesn't exist anymore you can't do that like you can't do what I did to get into games I feel like the times have changed yeah a lot so um, you know that kid that got into games then wouldn't get into games now he didn't have the experience didn't have the skills was lucky to have known some of the right people and I don't know, bluff his way in or something. <laughs> um, so I, I will tell it as a like a historical fact, but very much like this is this is not a really a good way to do stuff anymore. So don't try this. Um, and I think that speaks to kind of what you're saying too. We've all got experiences, whether we realize it or not, um, that we can speak to. Like I'm bad at talking to about getting into the industry at this point. You were a much better person to talk about because you have much more recently got in and know much more of the current climate of trying to get a, a job in game audio. You know, maybe uh, I'm, I'm a great person to talk to about making stupid mouth sounds because I've done a lot of that. And you're really good at them. <laughs> um, so I, I think being very honest about what you do know um, when asked for advice is the perfect starting point. Um, like you're saying, don't just jump in that you know everything about everything. It's totally okay to be like, I'd love to answer your question, but I don't actually know about getting lots of freelance clients. I've been in-house for eight years, so I'm not the person to talk to about that. Um, other stuff, communications within a team, sure, like I'm, I'm better at that, say. Um, so just speaking to what you actually know. And maybe you can't answer all their questions, but maybe you can answer some of them. And maybe you can direct them to somebody who could answer the, the questions you, you don't know. Um, I think that's the, the biggest thing, being honest about what you, what you know, what you feel you know. Um, and it's 
totally legit to be like, that's not that's not my jam. Yeah, bring this back just to how great the community is too. I think it's a it's the kind of community where you can very openly and honestly just say like I have no idea. Yeah. Or like that's that's out of my my area of expertise or familiarity. Mm-hmm. Um and chances are if you if you are working in the industry, you do know a lot of people, just the nature of how our community is. Yeah. And there are definitely other people you can refer to and I've made referrals and Everyone is happy with that, yeah. too. Um, I got approached by somebody to write a small article about um, going to and networking at GDC. And I was like, well, what, what do you actually want out of this? And they were like, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, yeah, no, that's, that's not me. Like, I go to GDC with a completely different mindset than what you're looking for. So I don't actually know about that sort of networking. Um, and I was like, I think this person would be like more in line and, and suggested somebody else to write it. And they did. And it was great. It was way better than what I would have done because it was, you know, it was about the kind of networking that I don't do. Um, and that person still talks to me about stuff and everything. It's, you know, I think they probably, hopefully, respect me more for bowing out at the right time. Oh, I bet they do. Then sure. Than trying to hustle a thing that I don't really know. So hopefully that answers the question. <laughs> I think we covered <laughs> most of the important aspects. Uh, so this is from Orjan, who put in the pronunciation of his name. So hopefully I actually got it right this time. So helpful. Uh, hey, Matt, can you enlighten me about convincing people to doing a recording in their area of responsibility, like animals in zoos and demolitions and stuff? How do you explain your business to them? Do you ever introduce yourself as a documentarist? Did any money be involved? Have you done any location field recording that you've had to get clearances and permissions and that kind of stuff for? Um, actually, yes. It's yep. a small example, but it was a so it was a fabric store, mm-hmm. um, and I noticed that they were doing some cool things and they were like tearing fabrics and stuff. And uh, I just sort of mentioned, oh, you know, I make sounds for a living, and it'd be nice if I could. Yeah. some of this recording and uh, yeah so they they welcomed me back first thing in the morning before all the customers came in to, to record some of that stuff so very low key very casual I just happened yeah. to be shopping for some fabrics <laughs> um, but I've that's something that we've talked about too is trying to plan team yeah. recording outings like once every couple months or something but yeah. then going to locations that maybe have some sort of barrier of entry because you do need to ask for permission or there Mm -hmm. are people around or something. And that's something I've thought a lot about doing. So I haven't quite gotten there yet, but have you? Um, I have done one sort of paid-for organized recording trip. And my experience was I didn't misrepresent myself in any way. I said I make sounds for video games. I work for this company. Um, So I didn't I don't think sort of like fudging around what you do is uh, necessarily the the right thing to do. I think the one of the biggest things is uh, being clear about what you do and showing that you have like a real interest in whatever it is you're going to record. Because whatever it is, whoever's in charge of it, they are probably really interested in whatever their thing is, be it animals or blowing stuff up, you know. Um, so I, I think expressing that interest, genuine interest in what they're doing and, ha- you know, how it's going to relate to what you're doing is, is really cool. Um, and I feel really lucky that we've got a big film industry here in town. So it's a bit of a double-edged sword. On the good hand, people are – a lot of people have experience with 
filmers and recordists and stuff approaching them to do these kind of weird things at their locations. Right. Um, so they're ready kind of for it. Uh, the bad thing can be they think film and video game industry and that there's all this money involved and they can charge a whole lot of money for potentially what they do. Oh, yeah. I've never really thought about that. But, so okay. that can sometimes be bad. Um, but we, uh, we needed cave sounds. There's no caves in Vancouver area at all. BC is bad for caves. <laughs> you have to go really far before you get into caves. Uh, but somebody on the team was like, hey, there's uh, the Britannia Mining Museum, which is a mine just outside of town, and they have a museum that right, they I've run. I've driven past it many times. Yeah, never and actually they, stopped. you can do it on a tour, and they drive you through little mo- the, on the mine carts, like through the mine and stuff. So I was like, cool, that's underground. Perfect. Um, phoned them up, and they're like, yeah, we've totally have had people come here and film and blah, blah, blah. Like, because the industry, they're used to that, and they're like, we've got a rate. Um, and I was like, well, this is what I want to do. Like, I just want to come in for a little before you open up. Hopefully, for anyone's there and just record sounds. There's no, there's no pictures. There's no film involved, so we don't need to set up. It'll be really quick. And they're like, right, it's going to be this much an hour, and it's basically to cover that somebody's got to be with you the whole time. Like that was their deal. Like safety wise, you gotta you gotta have somebody with you and wear your safety gear um, and stuff. And we got like two hours uh, in the place and set up our mics and got a whole bunch of ambulances and got a bunch of IRs captured and they had some like drills to kind of show how they did the mining so they ran the drills for oh, us that's really cool and it was part of it was like you know showing the like well what is what is this thing and then they were like here it does this I'm like oh that sounds really cool I'd really like you know and and getting in there with with the stuff so that was the one paid experience I had it, and it wasn't that expensive and it was a really great experience we got some really great stuff as with any of these things I would do it completely differently if I went back <laughs> Uh, I realized, you know, di- different things that I could have captured and, and done things differently. But, you know, that's the that's the thing about all this. You you learn by doing. You know, all these recording stuff is a lot of it. So you just got to do it. Um, the rest of my trips have been to, like, public and provincial parks. Um, and those in the greater Vancouver area, you are allowed to record sound in them without permission. Um, I think that's one of the biggest things is to find out your local area what what the rules are. Um, like, you're not allowed to film video. Oh, I didn't know that. So you can record sound but not film. Yeah. Film, you need a permit. Huh. So that's going to be different wherever you are. So look up what the, like, local stuff is. Uh, I know some, uh, you know, a bunch of people recorded in uh, Washington, and there's some places that are, you have to get permission and you have to pay to record there, and others you don't. Um, and so... A lot of times, if there's a a place that has a fee to to do this, you know, if you can join up with more people and split the costs, you know, that's a great thing to to do for those stuff. So I guess do your research and find some buddies to record with. Yeah, I will say too, I found that um, going through customs at the airport. Yeah. Or just going through the border. I, I don't know if you've experienced the same thing, um, but I find telling people I'm a sound designer, I get a lot of quizzical looks. So now I say I make sound effects for video games. Yeah. And for the most part, people get really excited and like <laughs> want to know more about what I work in a really friendly, chill kind of way. Yeah. And so I imagine maybe just find a fun way to spin it when you approach people about yeah. 
recording sounds where they are where they're working Mm -hmm. um i I feel like most people still find like video games sounds for video games to be kind of cool yeah i think i think we're in a cool industry or something i don't know yeah yeah when uh me and gord went on a trip to um a fair one of those mobile fair things to record rides and stuff and it was the same thing we just showed up we didn't we didn't ask permission for that we just wandered around with as stealthy as we could with our microphones um but some people saw us and we're like what are you doing and we're like oh we're recording sounds for beginning games and he's working on a game about fair rides <laughs> and they were like cool and you know the guys doing the like pellet shooting thing was like let me like fire off my guns a whole bunch for you like they were like as soon as they found out we were working on a video game of what they do they were super interested in it um, so, you know, if you can relate stuff to what they do and get sort of people excited, like that's always going to be a, I feel a good thing. I've done that in stores too, where, I'm, where I've asked, is it okay if you turn off the music for a bit? Because like there's a thing in your store that sounds really cool and like to record it. And yeah. um, I think most of the time people do say yes. Yeah. I was in New York at a weird oddities store and they had all these like no pictures, no pictures, no pictures. Um, I was there for the PS4 launch. Um, and Don't Starve was going to be on it. So I had taken one of our Don't Starve Wilson figures and was, like, doing a little photo essay, like, Instagram of, like, Wilson oh, on fun. the trip and being yeah. like, what is he going to see? And what's <laughs> this all about? Um, and they had they had a couple cool things that were, like, really Don't starve in the store. And I was like, hey, excuse me, like, I know you, don't, you say no photographs, but, you know, I'm doing this thing and I've got this toy and I'm taking pictures of him. Is it okay if I you know, take pictures because these look like totally like out of my game. And they were like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's cool. That's cool. <laughs> like, you know, it was, you know, asking permission, but in a way that excited them. Yeah. And related it to my stuff to their stuff. So bring up video games when you can, too, because people still like that. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and that is all of our questions. Woohoo. Which makes it the end of the podcast. I made it. You did. Um, this was really great. Thank you for being our new co-host, Rachel. Thank you for having me. I, I'll admit I was nervous at first. Maybe still am a little bit, <laughs> but uh, it's good to have the first one under the belt. And it was yep. a lot of fun. Here we go. All right. Thanks, everybody, for listening. And we'll talk to you next time. Bye. <laughs>